what works and what doesn't. Understanding what works. What works for me. Understanding your own business to know what works. What works for you. This is What Works. Back in 2016, the odd job platform TaskRabbit ran a series of ads in the New York City subways. Imagine a photo of a thin white woman in upward-facing dog pose on a yoga mat. She is blissed out. Above her, the poster reads, Mopping the Floors, in trendy pseudo-handwriting script. Below her, the TaskRabbit tagline reads, We do chores, you live life. The ad campaign communicates the promise of letting your chores disappear into someone else's workload. We do chores, you live life. Who is you? And who is we? Do the folks who are mopping floors ever get to be the you who lives life while someone else does their chores? I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that explores entrepreneurship for humans. Independent work, the gig economy, online business, they've all been sold to us as ways to transcend old class divides. They promise a more level playing field for offering your time and skills. No fancy resume needed, just a willingness to put in the work. Of course, this is far from the truth. Michael Zelenko put it this way in an article for The Verge, quote, Instead of establishing partnerships within a community, the gig economy and TaskRabbit's ads reaffirm a class divide between the you, whose life is defined by recreational activities, and the we, whose lives are devoted to doing your chores. Now, rather than leveling the playing field, gig work and the ever-increasing push to classify more workers as independent contractors has, in effect, reestablished a servant class. Now, however, it's not just the elites and the aristocracy who get access to servant labor. It's anyone with a smartphone and a few extra bucks to spend on takeout or housework. The more times I get my groceries delivered, the more I see my time, work, and self-care as more important than running errands. It is a short jump to start to see those who are running my errands as less important than me, less deserving of the good life. And in classic upstairs, downstairs, Downton Abbey fashion, the more I use these services, the easier it is to allow the people doing them to be invisible. Sarah Jaffe, the author of Work Won't Love You Back, recently talked about the culture of entitlement to service that we have in the United States on The Ezra Klein Show. She suggested that our sense of freedom hinges in some ways on being able to get what we want when we want it without consideration for those who are making it happen. And this, this is where I want to pivot to talking about micro-entrepreneurship and digital small business. Now, I'm quick to point out that the types of businesses we build are not part of the gig economy. Many aren't part of the so-called creator economy either, but they aren't exempt from this class divide. I hear from so many small business owners who are eager to rid their to-do list of pesky chores like checking email, sending newsletters, or posting to social media. 
Maybe they've already taken a step in that direction and hired a virtual assistant to help out with customer service, client management, or moving files around. This is where the class divide is most evident in the small business world today. You get to do the work you love. They do the entrepreneurial chores. Now, I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't hire people to support you. I'm not arguing that you should be spending less time on strategy or client work and more time on administrative tasks. But I am arguing for hiring support in a more humane way. Virtual assistants and online business managers who are overwhelmingly hired as independent contractors are business owners too. Every right and privilege we feel deserving of as business owners, we should be extending to the people we work with. And maybe that's how you operate already. But I've got to tell you, I've seen good, compassionate people treat support contractors badly. I've seen passive aggression, disregard for boundaries, and lack of empathy. I've seen violent communication and condescending language used. I've seen agreed-upon scopes of work thrown out the window. In short, I've seen a lot of entitlement to service without regard for the person doing the work. And that's why I was desperate to have this conversation with Janice Plato Dallager. Janice is a virtual assistant, consultant, and the founder of Janice Your VA. She manages a team of virtual assistants who pride themselves on making the lives of entrepreneurs and small business owners easier. And just like me, Janice has seen some shit. She's also been on the receiving end of that shit and has learned how to navigate the world of virtual assisting to avoid most of it. Our conversation is all about the dynamics between support contractors and the small business owners who hire them. We explore how these relationships break down, the hidden skills that make the people in these roles so valuable, and why this class divide persists. We also touch on the gendered and racialized aspect of support work and how small business owners often find themselves playing out the mistreatment they've experienced. My hope is that this conversation changes the way you think about how you hire, who you hire, and the relationships you develop along the way. Janice and I couldn't help ourselves and we dove right into the conversation. So I've edited it lightly for flow and clarity. Strap in for this conversation about the entrepreneurial class divide with Janice Plato Dallager. One of the things that intrigues me about the way business owners treat virtual assistants, online business managers, whatever kind of admin support, operational support they have, is that despite the fact that these people are by and large paid as contractors, are billed as business owners, they, the the business owners who are doing the hiring don't seem to treat them as equals and don't afford them the same privileges that they are hoping for as entrepreneurs, right? And so I see this really harmful power dynamic where one party is deserving of the rights of small business ownership and entrepreneurship, and one party is not. 
And so this question of like, who deserves to be treated like a business owner is one that I find really germane to this conversation. And I would love to just kind of get your thoughts on that and your experience with that and whatever you're willing to share. I mean, I would say it's kind of terrible. When I started and I didn't know better, I'd been in corporate services and operations for a good 15, 20 years before I took a break (laughs) and um, I had my own coaching business for a while. And then after I had my daughter, like I needed something that fit better into the lifestyle that we wanted, into the hours that I wanted to keep. I had heard people doing virtual assisting. I had done, say, old school virtual assisting where I still had to come into her office every week. (laughs) <laughs> for a local mm-hmm. lawyer. Um, but then I would do my work at home and we were still emailing files to each other. <laughs> um, so very little actual, not like now, where everything is really cloud-based um, and people don't have to be local. So I didn't know any, I sort of didn't know any better. I had an idea, having worked in operations before, of what my capabilities were, but... I didn't understand industry-wise how what would be thrown at you. And I'm, I've never actually worked as an assistant, like in a mm-hmm. corporate sense as an assistant assistant, as an executive assistant or sales assistant or anything like that. So when I became a VA and it was just me, I just sort of ran into it. And it was, it was, it was the point at which, um, I, okay, I'm like, just going to work on this for like, I just need something for a couple hours a day. Mm -hmm. That was my initial commitment. And out of personal integrity, it grew over time with this one client, it grew into like, oh my gosh, not only am I running, (laughs) running back from drop off for preschool, Um, working all the way through until pickup and not eating, not drinking in between because there's no time and we have time pressure and there's a deadline and all this stuff. And then I was doing more after I put my daughter to bed at night. So it was, I'm like, oh wait, this was not supposed to be ever a full-time thing. It was always supposed to fit in a certain container. And I blamed myself for it escaping the container and for me allowing it to escape the container that I thought I had a commitment to. So I blamed my own level of commitment. I don't know. I think that's thematic. I'm not the only one who does that. I did that in my corporate stuff way before I did this. So I'm like, it was kind of expect, I kind of expect, I'm like, I'm probably going to run into this wall I'm probably going to run into the stress and frustration and I had to learn to have the conversation that like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that thing this week or there isn't enough time for me to meet an appropriate deadline and still give you work that is the quality that, that I feel good about. So I had to get honest with myself, but it was not going to come from the outside So nobody on the outside was going to tell me, hey, I've been putting a lot of pressure on you (laughs) or that deadline seems really uh, impossible. So what can we do to make it more doable? 
right? It was going to be up to me to say that deadline is impossible for the whole thing. What we can get done in this time is like this 10% bit or whatever, something that I felt comfortable with. And I mean, having been in corporate for 20 years already and having some experience with having the hard conversations, which really it's, it is a hard conversation in that we hate to question a boss or a client, but when you own the business, it is on the owner. It's on it's on me as the business owner to keep the integrity of the business, to keep the integrity of the container that I set forth on this. Um, so it means saying no to stuff. And it was great saying yes to everything and collecting the hours and collecting the money. I was going to say, were you getting paid for that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it was hourly and there was no problem getting paid. Okay. And then there's the problem of when it is a problem getting paid. So... You put in the hours, you do the invoicing, and then, hey, I haven't received my check yet. <laughs> like having to chase after that stuff. I mean, that's a freelance yeah. problem in, in general. I want to come back to your responsibility or any assistant, any support person's responsibility in the situation. Because, you know, one of the reasons that I'm very passionate about having these conversations is because I don't think it should be your responsibility, right? And I think that a huge part of employing other people, whether as contractors or as employees, is considering their time, their availability, their capacity, their emotional bandwidth. And I don't think that's too much to ask, <laughs> especially when someone is helping you build your vision. I think that's a really important part of the equation. That's not to say that I don't think that we all don't come to the table with some sort of responsibility for ourselves and our boundaries and our guardrails and the scope of what we've agreed to and all of those things. But you know, I, I really truly believe that if we're going to be hiring people, we need a greater level of awareness of what we are asking for. And I think that lack of awareness is one of the toxic parts of the industry as it is and the relationships that are being built within it. Yeah, it is in work culture in general. I shouldn't have to speak up for myself. <laughs> and yet, in all cases, I have had to speak up for myself in order to uh, train the client, <laughs> train the client how you want to be treated, um, train the client like, oh, we don't work that way. And the, the other thing I've had to learn is how to make that conversation, how to spin it basically, that it's advantageous to them. For us to do our best work for you, for us to maintain this level of quality that you have seen up to this point, and usually there's a level of relationship involved, mm -hmm. um, then we, we can't do this that way anymore. If there has been a misstep, like I have to bring it up. Um, but it is something in corporate I've had to learn and that I continue to have to use, as I have to use, I think people in support services and operations, like what makes you good in support 
is the fact that you can hold all this stuff together for people who cannot. And there is an emotional and a mental load. Like the emotional, the emotional lifting, there's no quantify. I said there's no, there's probably a quantifiable around of it, around it. But it is, even now, it's probably not something I would say to a client. Well, the emotional load of that conversation, <laughs> that's going to cost you somewhere. Like, but basically to do my pricing to accommodate for that, right? To do my pricing, to do my time scheduling or time blocking to accommodate for me to have enough downtime to face this again. The whole reason that I wanted to own this myself is because in the corporate life, that is exactly what happened to me. I had over and over cycles of burnout. And when I burned out, I burned out hard. I left completely. I left entire industries and took my experience to another industry, hoping to escape that cycle. And really, it's just acculturated work-wise that that is how we, that's what services people are there for. Let's address the elephant in the room that everything you've just described in terms of the emotional weight of it, the being, you know, holding these things all together for people who quote unquote can't, <laughs> that is all a very gendered and racialized. That's the paradigm that we are thrown into over and over and over again. And I think that it's incredibly difficult to to consciously like move yourself out of that paradigm and say, I don't deserve this. You wouldn't treat someone else this way. Why are you treating me this way? And it doesn't just have to be like out and out abuse. It can just be scope creep. It can just be like not thinking about your emotional labor, your um, your schedule or the amount of extra time that they're asking for implicitly. You know, I'm thinking of uh, the philosopher Kate Mann has this distinction between human beings and human givers, and that women and people of color are acculturated, as you said, to be in that human giver position for the white men who are, are the only ones that allowed to be human beings. And I think what often happens or what I often see happen in the small business owner VA relationship is that the small business owner is trying desperately to exist as a human being but therefore then needs to build a team of human givers. And I would love to better understand, uh, to better uh, flesh out for people what a relationship between hu two human beings looks like, right? <laughs> I mean, that sounds so it silly, seems, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like, well, you know, but two human beings that work together because like yeah. two human beings that just relate we can figure we can figure that out. I can have an open conversation, generally open conversation, with a friend who may be taking me for granted or whatever, whatever it is. I think if I weren't, if I hadn't been in a coaching program, like been trained as a coach in between this work time, um, that training gave me so much awareness of trained me to be aware of myself 
and where my gifts are that aren't necessarily, there isn't an HR description for, there's plenty of HR description, there's a job description for the, the skills that I have and the things that I accomplish. But um, that sigh of relief that you have after having an intro call with me, because it feels all of a sudden like everything's going to be okay. What do you call that? There's no, like, and shouldn't there be some monetization around that? Isn't that part of the value that I bring? So yeah, absolutely. It's part of the value that I bring. It is an emotional, if without the breaks, if I don't build in breaks for it, if I don't build in um, compensation around it, the emotional toll makes this work unsustainable. It's not, I, I can't keep doing it. So if it's work that I want to continue doing at a, at a level that people enjoy and I feel good about, um, those things have to be scheduled in. And it's still a lot of, for me, it's still a lot of work in progress, like um, noticing which weeks I'm like, boy, I am so worn out. <laughs> How to deal with weeks that are where you are worn down and recognizing, well, you have you have a whole other life. Is it just work that's weighing you down? Or is it like, for instance, this summer, my dad passed away. And as a contractor, like, if I'm not going to be there, I'm not going to get paid. So, I mean, it was actually... It shouldn't have been a gift, but I do have clients who are thinking from an equity equity standpoint, well, Janice, you took that time away. And normally, if this was a corporate situation, if you were my employee, you'd have had time off, paid time off for it. But you're not. You're a contractor. And I know, Janice, you're going to say, well, the hours are the hours or the whatever. But I was gifted hours and she's like that's I don't know if it's the right thing but it feels like I need to do something and that's the best that I can do for you right now so just mark it as x number of hours <laughs> and call it and I'm like I even me ranting as I am was totally thrown off I did not even think it was possible from a contractor standpoint to to have that built in in some way and like there has to be a way to build that in to our contracts as contractors but you also have to recognize what is the full value of what you're bringing um and like me just being able to be present for people in the meeting and I take notes too but sometimes it's not the notes that matter it's that I was there and I was listening. Um, so to recognize that as a value, I don't know how there are other ways to do it. I'm sure besides pricing for it, but it's hard to make, um, to verbally make a case like, why is your rate so high? <laughs> um, like, cause I'm going to bear some emotional load for you, but you don't recognize that yet. Um, but kind of, 
I mean, it sounds good to me. <laughs> it's, it's honestly, it's part of the conversation that we have with podcasting clients is like one of the reasons that you're going to pay more than you would pay for another producer is because we are going to take that um for us it's it's we i guess i don't actually sometimes i do couch it in terms of of emotional work um uh, but i often talk about it in terms of project management it's like yeah. you know how stressful it is to manage this person over there and this person over there and this person over there that's why they're all on our team and we're going to take care of that for mm -hmm. you so you don't have to worry about it i mean right i, I kind of okay so i come from project management too so i kind of encase it in a project management um wrapper mm -hmm. <laughs> when really well i don't know if it's really but i know part of the reason i am good at project management is not just because i know the tools and i know how to sort stuff but it's because i can listen when the client is out of their minds and totally overwhelmed and can't make sense of what they've got in front of them that they can do a brain dump i mean sometimes you do the brain dump and a person does a brain dump in front of you and everybody else has scattered like nobody mm -hmm. <laughs> like somebody vomited in the room and i don't want to smell that right but who's gonna come and who's gonna come not necessarily clean it up but like sort out okay what made you sick <laughs> oh that is a terrible image, but somewhat fitting. So fitting. <laughs> and also comes back to the gendered component, right? Who's the one that's getting Clean. up with the kids at night when they're vomiting, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Not saying that there aren't plenty of dads that do that as well. Right. Um, and, right. and certainly in non-cis-heteronormative um, families. But traditionally, you know, it's a, it's a mom role. Mm -hmm. And the mom roles in businesses are undervalued, yeah. whether it's an office manager in corporate culture or the HR person. Um, or it's a virtual assistant or an OBM, that role is undervalued because it's a mom role. Yeah. I mean, does it speak to the undervaluing? I mean, there's like a whole conversation in itself, the undervaluing of the motherhood role in general, like culturally, we don't yeah. do it. So why should it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a place in business, right? It supposedly doesn't have a place in business. And yet, mm -hmm. the people in these roles, they are nurturing your they're nurturing you so you can be available for your company when you are having a bad day <laughs> when a client is having a bad day and it's like oh and they don't know how to handle it but they take it out on their assistant their secretary whoever that is sometimes it's the contractor sometimes it's the obm and um Sure, maybe I'm getting paid for the time, but um, I getting compensated for holding what I did in that moment is hold that space for you, which yeah. coaches do that, and you're not paying a coach. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> the nurturing person in your life does it. Go ahead, let it all out. We'll sort it out together. Yeah. You'll hear more from my conversation with Janice Plato Dallager in just a minute, but first, a word from our What Works partner. 
What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Now, the so-called creator economy has been getting some serious attention lately. Traditional media are confounded by people creating content, building audiences, and making money online. But what's really going on here? Is it the viral TikTok stars and Instagram influencers that have it all figured out? Do you have to amass millions of followers to make it in the creator economy? Mighty Networks wanted to find out. So they hired an independent research firm to study the creator economy. And what they found is completely counter the mass media narrative and probably quite familiar to you as a listener of what works. In short, the creators who are thriving today own their platforms, niche down to hyper-specific audiences, invest in community, and create their own network effects. And the biggest non-surprise? People are making the same amount of money with direct sales to as few as 30 customers that the stars are making with 100,000 followers or 2 million views. Want to learn more? Go to newcreatormanifesto.com. That's newcreatormanifesto.com. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about the sort of emotional labor component of that support or assistant role. I mean, we call it a support role. That's that's an emotional word right there. Right. Yeah. It says everything. Um, So you've said about that sigh of relief that when someone starts with you and they get off the phone, they're like, oh. Janice, she's got it. This is going to be this is going to be great. There's the vomiting all over the floor analogy. (laughs) Are there other? Yeah. And the and the bad day. I think that's a great example of it as well. Are there any other things that come to mind in terms of um, the the strain on your emotional bandwidth as a professional support person? What I have done was part of my recognition around like how that has a value in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, just like I do Excel stuff really well. I took those statements from my clients. Cause, so I went back and asked for feedback, like after a couple mm-hmm. years of relationship with them, like I'm doing some marketing and putting up a website. Um, how has it been working with me? Right. So I used those emotional statements for my testimonial stuff. And that is part of, I say my marketing, right? And part of how I brand our work is um, the sigh of relief, right? Um, Mm -hmm. The sigh of relief, knowing that it will be taken care of, right? So it's another way of saying trust and reliability, right? These are people you can trust. These are people you can rely on. But they are actual statements from my clients. And in the beginning, they may not understand emotionally what is happening. But definitely after the first project, they know sometimes in the first, the first like evaluative conversation, just talking to you makes me feel so much better about this even though we haven't discussed solutions and i'll say well just wait till we discuss solutions (laughs) how much better will you feel then for me it's a given right because 
there was a long time in my corporate life where I had to harden myself at work and be two separate people between Mm -hmm. my work person and my out of work person. Because my work person was getting burned so much for being good at the things that aren't in my job description. Eventually, in my work life, I came to the realization that, like, but that's what makes me good. When I start cutting off the emotional from my work, if for me at least, if the work does not have some sort of emotional attachment, I say attachment, but just like a little emotional tie to it, if I don't care about the work, for me, it shows. Mm-hmm. And I can't sustain that either. Personally, I can't sustain it either. I can't, I can't, I couldn't do this work for the last five years without wanting something with my clients, for my clients, wanting to see them feel good about, and some people will say that that's people pleasing, then I'm going to use that to my advantage. I want you to feel good from working with me. If I don't care how you feel after whatever I'm, after I make, because it's not making or building a thing according to not just what you specified, but what you told me kind of in your heart that you need. I needed these special specifications done for this document, but I can hear how you want to feel when it's done. You want to feel relief. You want someone who can hear that and someone who can provide the space for that to happen. That is its own. If, if, you, if you're calling it magic, right? I don't know what your magic touch. My friend, one of my clients calls it magic questions. There, anyone can ask these questions. <laughs> but Janice, the way you ask them is like magic. Well, magic... You can compensate for magic, right? So I don't care what you want to call it. Maybe there isn't like a single word for it. But if the result is, I feel so much better. My work feels so much better. That means my business is thriving because of what you made space for. That is something. That deserves compensation, that deserves recognition and value. So as a business owner, we must, I say we must, but we don't, recognize and be willing to pay for that kind of value. That is part of the value. And whether I, as the practitioner, can put words to that, and like if I'm a bad marketer, but every time I spend time with Janice, this is what happens. The world blows up and everything is sparkles and everything's amazing again. Then that is something. That is something, whether we have a word for it or not. Sometimes when we don't recognize it, we don't feel we can put a price on it. And that's not true. The thing is, every human being has some sort of something, in my opinion, that makes not just the work itself, but why you want to keep working with that person, why you like their product better, even if it's the same product than somebody else's, because they've put some sort of care into it. 
they care about either the product or they care about how that product affects you or that service affects you. And they want you to be happy. So cha-ching, here's for making me feel happy. <laughs> I, mean, the, I think it's also the human part of the human connection. And so I don't have clients where it's transaction, where the work is transactional. I wanted this to be a relationship business. I didn't necessarily intend to keep clients for five years and keep going with them necessarily, but I, I did want, I'm a person who needs context, for instance, for my projects. I don't just want to know, like, just make this, make this Google doc and these are the fonts and blah, blah, blah. I want to know who's supposed to read it and what are they expecting? How do you want to appear as a person presenting the Google doc? Um, I want to know all the context around it. And even if it is just changing fonts, I'm going to bring up things that like, well, do you want it to be structured in a different way, right? Do you want to have the little navigation bar on the side? So it's either, is it going to be printed or is it going to be electronic, uh, an electronic document? Like, I feel more confident to ask these questions some with clients who are willing to understand like, oh, that's a context thing. And I get better results when I'm willing to go on this journey with her. There are other clients who are like, too many questions, Janice, just type it and ship it. <laughs> and I don't necessarily want to work with that person. I think I want to shift gears here okay. a little bit um, and I still come back to something that you had said earlier, which is that what makes you good at support is that you can hold all of the stuff for people who can't. And it's the people who can't piece that I want to dig into a little bit more because I think there is a lack of responsibility and accountability among people who are hiring for these roles who think that quote unquote they can't or they're not a systems person they're not a maintenance person they're not a uh, an administrative person so um they're going to find somebody to take care of that stuff for them and while some of that might be true or it might be that they need support in those areas for sure i think the the sort of story that people tell themselves create sets the tone for a really toxic relationship with the people that they're working with. And in fact, I wanted to get your take on one of the responses to the survey that sort of right along these lines. Uh, this person responded during a recent conversation with another person in a similar position. They reflected on the fact that there seems to be a trope in small businesses that anything can be outsourced or delegated. We both agreed that this is a toxic mentality that needs to stop. This idea with no guardrails can set up conscientious and hardworking people in support roles to take the brunt of the CEO's dysfunction. It's a bummer for everyone involved. Your thoughts. When we say outsource and delegated, right, there's some sentiment kind of loaded in those words. Like I'm not against outsourcing or delegating in a thoughtful manner. If you're automating, that's one thing because we know that's a machine. But when you're outsourcing and delegating, 
these are human beings that are going to be filling in this gap. Um, so it's one thing to yell and scream at a machine. It's an entirely different thing to yell and scream at a, at a person who is fulfilling not just a role, but they are doing the thing, holding the space for, um, for your needs as the delegator and making something, making something happen with those needs, finding resources to produce something that your business now uses and gets value from. So it's funny when we say delegate, it's, it's like it's going out and then coming back in. It doesn't speak the, to, to the transformation that is taking place that I took your needs and AKA specifications and potentially whatever form you, you may have, you may have prepared a nice little sheet for me. You may have just yelled and screamed in a room and then ran out and like, okay, I'll make something out of this that I think they need. And I went away, fashioned something, crafted something. I think a lot of times we don't realize there's a transformation that takes place before that product comes back to us, that before as that service is coming back to us. And then that product or service is creating value forward for the person who had delegated it in the beginning, in the beginning. So it's like, I call it magical elves, right? That I gave it to the magical elves. And then two days later, these amazing, amazing shoes appeared. There's no um, recognition except to call it magical elves that don't exist, right? It's like some fictitious thing that happened, but I don't care what happened because they came back as, as elegant shoes or whatever it is. And I get to sell that and make and mark it up how much. So this thing that delegated at, that was delegated out never happened. It's like it never happened. It never really existed in the world. All I know that it was expense on my expense line that it cost this much and it is X percent of my bottom line and I can do what kind of margin on sell it on what type of kind of margin afterwards like to say outsource I mean it's like the same idea to say outsource like it went out it went away from my purview I don't know what happened to it <laughs> but it came back exactly as what I had asked for it's like genies in a bottle but I mean, we might as well be talking about the same thing because like, I don't know what happens. I don't know how those people are treated. I don't, and, and I don't care because I paid X for it and I want that or better coming back. So, um, I think that is, and I'm not just saying it's the language, but is it's the culture around it. But when we say these things that it went out was sourced out and came back. <laughs> you might as well just say magic if you're going to if you're going to be thoughtless about it. I think it's easy to say outsourced or delegated. I think especially with outsourcing it, because I don't necessarily I don't necessarily have to see what happens or what goes on or who that person is. They're just a they're just a vendor line on my 
on my expense sheet. So. Yeah. I listened to an interview with the author of a book called Dirty Work, mm -hmm. um, and I cannot remember the guy's name right now, but it was on the Chris Hayes uh, podcast. Anyhow, there's this theory that as a society gets, quote unquote, more and more civilized, that the dirty work gets concealed. There mm. is a theory of concealment. So whether that's your butcher or the slaughterhouse or the work that gets delegated and outsourced, that we think that we've made it or we think that we're better than or we think that we have reached a pinnacle of success because we don't have to see that work mm -hmm. anymore. And that's a big problem mm. when you're talking about working with people in relationships. Janice, I could literally talk to you about this all day. I want to let you know that I truly believe that this is going to be the most important What Works episode I've ever put out. Um, and I, I mean that 100%. Um, and I want to give you the opportunity to tell me two more things. One, for all the virtual assistants and OBMs and, and support people of all kinds that are listening, what's the one thing you'd want to tell them? And then second, what's the one thing you want to tell the small business owners who are hiring people like you or um, who are thinking about it and want to do it well? All right. So first of all, super honored to be part of this conversation. It's been I, like it's this thing that I didn't know I had a real opinion about, but have gone out of my way to make my business intentional, especially around this. So it gave me a chance to reflect on like, oh yeah, this is, this is different and why I had to make it different. So for my VA and my OBM family <laughs> out there, you know, we say know your value know all of your value come into awareness of like uh, and it's not just not just in your time as a va or an obm it is all the stuff you bring experience both personal and professional experience mm. all the stuff that you bring to this role now maybe from a marketing standpoint you have to fashion the words around it, but emotional labor, being, a, I say, being able to do emotional lifting, being willing to do emotional lifting. And if it's like me, that emotional lifting is part of the quality that gets built into the final product. Price for it, ask for it. Maybe you have to use different words because the person you're talking to may not recognize. <laughs> very likely does not recognize that 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 thing that you do extra is the thing that makes you good. So that's a value. Price for it. Speak to it. Don't be afraid of, yeah, that's what I do. I make emotional connections with my clients. It is relational. So it's not, um, I mean, if, if you're comfortable with that, um, but all the stuff that makes you good at what you do, put it in there in some way and charge for it. So that's that message. For my folks who are looking to hire, who currently work with a VA or an OBM, ask about your 
be a person. <laughs> be a person. Be a human being working with another human being. They, we are neither below or above you. We are all, especially in contract work, we're all really just doing our best. Not just to make that money, but if if your VA or your OBM does amazing work for you and you can't explain why the Google Doc is so much more than a Google Doc, that's what that's what you're getting. That is the humanity part that you're getting. We shouldn't have to pay for humanity. I think if we paid for us being humans, if we put a value on it already, the price points would be different for a lot of stuff, would be a lot higher for a lot of stuff. So just consider consider this as a human being that you are working with another human being. Ask about them every now and then. Don't be afraid to make an emotional connection because they've already made that connection with you. And if you want to continue working with them, show, show it. I've had clients who are like, and you can use that as a testimony, as a testimonial or anytime I can do a testimonial for you or connect you with somebody or, you know, find out what they want to do, for instance, in their VA business, find out what's going on in their lives. Like I'm doing this. So I have a, I'm building up a college fund for, you know, for my daughter, you know, what are there are hopes and dreams that are being funded and fueled by this work. We're not just machines. So, and I will throw a warning in there. If you are treating <laughs> your OVM or, or VA, um, like, oh, well, I never thought about that. I wonder if that bothers her. Um, yeah, it probably does. <laughs> yes. Um, and apologize on occasion if you've lost your mind on somebody and the person who happens to be sitting there on a repeated basis is your OBM you first of all you may have a problem like maybe you need to you need to find an emotional outlet that is not necessarily your support person that's not necessarily the people that you work with um and if you have transgressed <laughs> if you have um unknowingly hopefully not too much unknowing but if you have unknowingly put that on the people you work with apologize apologize for that time that i was having a bad day for that time that i was short on sleep um and you still showed up professionally and you didn't even say anything to me about it. Just be honest, be human, ask for forgiveness. Be human. Yes. <laughs> Janice, this conversation has been such a privilege for me. I am so glad to be able to talk about all of this with you. As I said, I could talk about so much more. We barely scratched the surface of the outline that I sent you. <laughs> so maybe we'll have you back and we can talk more about it. This is a continuing conversation yes. for all of us in work culture. Like if you're working um, and you've listened to this, I hope you're noticing now, not just for yourself, but for the people that you work with and for microaggressions, whatever you want to call it, like when you're not being treated well, yeah, that takes a toll. So recognize it as value people who are hiring recognize that as a value like see see who you are working with this is amazing thank you for having Absolutely. me thank you 
One of my fears is that you'll hear this conversation and think, oh, I need to hire Janice to be my VA. And look, that's valid. And I totally get why you'd want to hire Janice after this conversation. But I hope you don't see Janice as an exception. Janice isn't one of a very small group of VAs and OBMs who do exceptional work, while the rest just don't have their hearts in it. I want to suggest that if you felt burned by a VA or VAs in the past, there's a good chance you lit the fire. I've certainly struck my own share of matches. Maybe you had unspoken expectations that they were never going to meet. Maybe you asked them to do things that weren't in their scope of work or worse. You wanted them to be, quote, proactive when you weren't compensating them for that level of care. Maybe you pushed back when they asked for additional context or direction. Maybe you took the emotional labor they were doing for you for granted. Now, I don't think you're a bad person. I know you're a caring, compassionate, and empathetic person. And I also know that we fall into the patterns we ourselves have been subject to. We default to the dominant culture of the workplace. We try to lift ourselves out of precarity and instability by letting others sink further into that muck. There is a whole industry of incredible people offering their support to your dream. How you build a relationship with them, how you compensate them, how you communicate with them matters. It matters for them, for you, for your business, and for our communities online and offline. If you're a virtual assistant, online business manager, or other support professional listening to this conversation, you might be thinking, I want the kind of business Janice has. To you, I say, rock on. Set those boundaries. Ask for appropriate compensation for emotional labor. Make the case for the value of your work. You are not an extra in someone else's business. You are a co-star. Asking for what you need, whether that's more time, more money, or more empathetic communication is hard, but it's worth it. You can find out more about Janice Plato Dalliger at JaniceYourVA.com. Next week, we'll wrap up our series on practicing abundance with three stories of how small business owners changed their perspective and made a concrete, positive change in how they did business. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Our production assistant is Emily Kildoff. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt and me, Tara McMullen. What Works is recorded on the ancestral homeland of the Susquehannock and Conestoga people. The Yellow House is on the land of the Kutunaha Nation, as well as the homeland of the Salish and Kootenai tribes. 